I'm just wondering. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is yours? Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll leave it there then. Because uh, <laughs> there's never been a piece of paper taped wanna, to the floor. Do you want to read before. the rest? Okay, a couple of things. Uh, from one to three today in the fellowship hall, Seth Brooks is going to be there. And there, he'll be um, sharing about his ministry in, uh, in Australia and Southeast Asia with, uh, with YWAM. And there'll be slides and, and goodies. Oh, ice cream, yeah. Um, and uh, stop by. Uh, you don't have to stay from one to three, but uh, just stop by and, and, and say hello to, to Seth and, and everything. Um, this year we're talking about living drenched. And uh, one of the things that I knew coming into the year was we would do particular series about things. But I also wanted to have testimonies, uh, living drenched testimonies. That came forth, and so I, there's probably about a dozen uh, various ones that we'll hear before the year is over. And uh, I love this guy. I mean, some of you, if you've been to Springhouse Present, some of you know him as Willy Wonka. Some of you know him as uh, which one were you? Um, I was Larry. Larry, Larry the um, <clears throat> cucumber. It was a memorable was a cucumber. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, he's, uh, you know, God just he. He creates an amazing array of people. Would you welcome Scott Asher this morning? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Ronnie, for spoiling my, my white paper right there. So I'm not particularly nervous about talking to people. That doesn't bother me. I know that bothers a lot of people. But what I am nervous about is that that from up here, there is a crazy amount of responsibility that goes with that. And, and I know I've been coming to this church now for almost exactly nine years. And you guys have become like a family to me. When I get to come to church and I get to see you, and, uh, and you come up and give me a hug, which is something that nine years ago started. And um, <laughs> yeah, not before that. Um, and I'm just blessed. I'm blessed to be able to come and talk to you guys. And I'm blessed to be able to be a part of you guys and that you've accepted me. Um, I know that that sometimes isn't always easy. Um, but what's interesting for me is that when we talk about, when, when, when Justin talks about things like this field looks like this, this field looks like that, and when we sing songs like that, that God goes before you and God is with you and takes you through things, um, I started... I started a journey to come up to here and I thought I was going to be done with that journey like 20 years ago when I went to college, when I, when I was called in, in uh, high school. Um, and, I, and I thought that it would go faster than that. But some stuff happened along the way where if God is before me, I became like the dog in Up and I went, squirrel! Because God is going one way, and his way is the right way. And when we sing songs like uh, the Yes and Amen song, it actually starts with the most important sentence there, that in God, in Christ Jesus, the promises are yes and amen. But the problem is, is that sometimes I have a habit of not staying in Christ Jesus. And so I, I decide to stray, uh, to stray off the path, and then my path takes a long time, and it causes problems. And um, so I deal with problems. I know this is supposed to be a testimony. If you want to hear my testimony, I did a testimony last summer. It was on my childhood um, through, say, high school. So we'll call that chapter one and two. Okay? But testimonies aren't always the same thing. I know a lot of people think testimonies means, like, tell us a story when you got saved. And that's a part of your testimony. But the whole Bible is a testimony. And it wasn't just a bunch of stories of people getting saved. It's a story of people struggling and going the wrong way and people um, trying to get away from God and God chasing them down. It's the story of people making bad decisions. A lot of the Bible is a story of people making bad decisions. And that's just because we're human. And we all make bad decisions all the time. And so when I think of testimony, I actually think of that almost any part of your life should be a testimony. If God is in it, um, and when God is not in it, maybe you, like me, have gone astray. 
then it's still a testimony. You just don't know the outcome yet. And so it's a part of the testimony. So today I want to tell you about what I'm going through right now and what I go through all the time. And I think probably some of you guys struggle with the same thing. I, I am so excited. Years ago, um, some of you guys know this, that I draw cartoons. Um, Most of my best cartoons are on the back of church bulletins. And uh, one of the very first sermons that Ronnie had his iPad up here and he was clicking, I made a cartoon of myself saying to my wife, I've got to find a way to hack his sermon. (laughs) Done. I really kind of wanted to mess with you guys on worship and make it go back to the other verse. I'm like, I like this verse better. Wayne would be like, what's going on? Everyone would get mad at D, and, and it would, you know, it would have been funny for me. But I, yeah, far too often I think that's probably my problem. So, but um, it'd be funny for me. But today I actually want to talk to you about a struggle. I struggle. I, uh, let's see how this works. I am almost always afraid. I am. That is the kind of person that I am. I'm always afraid. And what happens is I get anxious and I get fearful, and then I start to have like panic attacks. And, um, and if you're like me, when you get nervous, you eat, and so you also gain weight. And when you gain weight, I hate these cords. When you gain weight, then you start to become even less healthy, and so you start to have things like a fear of death. I know I actually really do want to know what heaven is like. I want to go to heaven, but on the other hand, I really don't want to leave yet. Is that fair? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, I know maybe you're used to your, you know, I'm supposed to have this together and tell you the right answers, and I'm going to tell you the right answer. Don't worry about that part. It's not just all a very depressing story. But <laughs> Scott's testimony is he's afraid at the end. No, I'm going to get to that. But, but the bottom line is I'm afraid of leaving people. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave you guys. See, I don't want to leave things undone. I want to finish things. But that's, uh, that's my problem. I also worry what people think. Are you guys like me? It could be one of these two. If you remember my testimony, you remember that I grew up without a lot of friends. And without a lot is equal to zero in Scott language. I didn't have a lot of friends. And so when I come to church or when I'm at work, or when I'm hanging out with people, I desperately want you to like me. And I strive for self-sufficiency. I do this all the time. I am working and hustling and striving. I have, at any given time, two or three jobs that I'm doing. I have my real job. I have my side jobs. I, I do whatever I can to make money. eBay, Craigslist, Amazon, reviewing, working IT for someone, making someone's website. I'm always, always, always trying to get there. I mean, I'm still in college, again, because if I go to college, which my work will pay for, I don't have to pay my student loans right now, which I can't afford to pay. So it's kind of like another job, right? In fact, tonight I'm going to go home and write a paper for a master's class. That's the life that I have. I'm striving because I want to get to a point where I don't have to do those things anymore, right? And I'm afraid of losing what I have. You know, I gotta pay my bills so I don't lose my house. I gotta, I gotta take care of my family so that I don't lose them. I mean, there's that constant fear that when my kids get older, they're not gonna like me anymore because I was kind of a jerk. You know, maybe I was too hard on them. I struggle with all these things all the time. And, and that's where I'm at a lot of times. It's kind of a boring, you know, like rah-rah thing. It's kind of down a little bit. There is a way out, but this is the problem. I think everything is up to me. Right? I think it's up to me to make things happen. I think it's up to me to make sure I'm healthy. I think it's up to me to make sure my kids are okay. I think it's up to me to do well at my work. I think it's up to me to make sure you like me. I think it's up to me to pay my bills. And it's... It's idolatry. A lot of times in current culture, we don't really think about what idolatry really is because it's hard. I don't have a golden calf or some little wooden figurines. What I have instead is the stuff that I just read to you. I have instead the heart that says I can control 
everything. And so I'm like Indiana Jones in Raiders. Okay, go with me. Not everything works out exactly right because it is a little golden statue. So pretend that that's God. Pretend, okay? And it's on an altar of my heart. And here I am with my like bag of dust. And for some reason, I think that if I just remove God, my bag of dust is going to be cool. But then the world hits, reality happens, and a ball chases me out of the... Yeah, I didn't want to ruin... No, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Indiana Jones makes it. Um, But that's the truth, right? Because we try to do that. We take this bag of dust that's us, this nothing, and we try to replace God, and that's where the idolatry comes in. We have a Bible verse. I didn't make you stand up right away, but I do want you to stand up and read with me on this one. Would you guys? This is our Bible verse today, I promise. So let's read this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Do it again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So who is the Lord's? Everybody is the Lord's. What stuff is the Lord's? Everything is the Lord's. The whole world and everything in it is the Lord's. David said this, and he's right. Lots of people said this, but I picked this one because we're going to talk about David. Let's pray. I want to pray. Do you guys feel weird about praying songs? Good, because when I get nervous or when I start to um, feel like things aren't working out, I start to pray songs. Isn't that weird? I don't mean psalms because I don't have them all memorized. Sometimes I do, but songs. So like when I was really nervous at work a few years ago, I was praying Yahweh, Yahweh. You give, uh, you know, praise your glory. You go before me. And I just said that over and over and over again. Thank you. Need to breathe. Right? Today I want to pray to you. So let's pray. Lord, I want to make my life a prayer to you because I want to do what you want me to. I don't want to tell any empty prayers, and I don't want any white lies, and I don't want any uh, token prayers, and I just want to live with no compromise. And today I want to share the light that you gave me through your son that you sent to save me. Who did you save us from? From ourselves in our despair. And Lord, help it to comfort us to know that you're really there. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, who was singing that with me? a couple people. Keith Green. You guys like Keith Green? So today I want to tell you the tale of two um, yards. Just kidding, Justin. (laughs) That'd have been awesome. That'd have been so awesome. You know, actually, uh, at least four or five different things came up over the last week, and every one of them confirmed for me what I was supposed to say to you. Isn't that crazy? Do you know what Eli's memory verse is today? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Right? Sue sent me an encouraging email. It was on the Bible verses that I was reading. It, it just happens, right, when you're in God's will. Then he's really going before you, and then you're really following after him. And it's not the squirrel moments that we have. But today I want to talk to you about two different kings, okay? First, King Saul with his spear. You remember his spear? That's the one he chucks at people. And then David. David's like, I don't have time to duck because I am too busy playing on this harp. (laughs) But there is a difference here, and the difference isn't that these aren't bad guys, because frankly, they are both bad guys. They are wicked sinners. You read the Bible, you find some crazy bad sins all the time. It makes me feel so much better about myself. (laughs) I'm like, thank you, God, I am not like those people. (laughs) Just kidding, sometimes I am a little bit of a Pharisee. Let's talk about King Saul. What I want to talk about specifically is about when King Saul loses his kingdom, which happens really fast, okay? The Bible passage actually says, when Saul became king, he was 30. The very next thing he does is raise an army. He's in a hurry, right? So he raises an army, he gets his uh, 3,000 best soldiers together, his choice soldiers. Him and his son, Jonathan, go up to attack a Philistine outpost. It's important to note that even though King Saul was King Saul, he wasn't really much of a king at this point because the Philistines were still in control. You know, that's like uh, my daughter Ariel saying she's the king of my house. You know, I'm like, eh, you know, good for you. It's cute, right? 
um, when you're little. But King Saul probably wasn't very cute to the Philistines. And so when he attacked the Philistines, actually won that battle. It was an outpost, 3,000 men versus outposts. It wasn't expecting him, so good for him. But the Philistines got so mad, so mad. And they get together 3,000 chariots, twice that many charioteers, which is a fun word to say. And it says, as many soldiers, as many soldiers as the sands, like on the beaches. So the Philistines get more angry about this than they were previously. Okay? So they get all these men and they start chasing after Saul and Saul's men. And what ends up happening is that Saul's men start to freak out. Lots of Saul's men will run away. They'll hide in caves. They'll, they'll hide in bush. I don't really know how you hide in a bush, but they do. It's kind of like a, you know, like a, I don't know. These bushes must have been very big or something. But it hides in a bush. He hides in, they hide in, in, in uh, they, they cross the Jordan River to escape. They're abandoning Saul. Now, Saul was told by Samuel, the prophet, um, to wait seven days. And that Samuel would come up and offer a sacrifice and bless this battle. Um, but Saul starts to see his people abandoning him. He sees the enemy at his gates and he decides that, you know what, I can't wait any longer. If I wait any longer, then I'm not going to have the support of the people. My, my kingdom's going to be over right away and I'm probably going to die, which is true, right? So he decides to go ahead and do his offering and he doesn't wait for the man of God to do it for him. So he decides to take the blessing from God rather than wait for the blessing. And when he does this, which is how this works, Samuel walks up right afterwards. Right? Because just when we are at our limit for how long we're willing to wait for God, you know, sometimes we decide to do things on our own, and if we had just waited. But he didn't. He didn't just wait. Samuel walks up and he says, what did you do? And so I want to tell you what King Saul said. I know that that's a little bit small. I'm not going to make you read it. I'm going to read it to you. Saul says, he's called out. He's like, what did you do? Saul says, I saw my men abandoning me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. It's very similar to this woman you gave me, gave me the apple, so to speak, right? He's passing the buck. And the Philistines are about to kill us. I don't think you understand the urgency here, Samuel, is what Saul is saying. So he says, I felt compelled to do this burnt offering before you came, right? Samuel's like, that is so foolish. I'm paraphrasing, okay? You're like, that doesn't say that, Scott. That's okay. I make up a lot of things, okay? So make sure you look it up. (laughs) You're like, is this even in for Samuel? This is not a real story. It's a real story, but I'm going to paraphrase. He says, "You're, you're so foolish. You did not keep the command of the Lord that he gave to you, if you had kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. What a crazy different Bible we would have. Right? Right now, everything comes down to King David. King David this, King David that. Who would have wrote all the Psalms? I don't know. King Saul, he wasn't really a songwriter. Who would have done all these things? I mean, crazy different things. Jesus would have come from the, from the lineage of Saul. Whole different kind of world. I don't even know how it would have worked. But he gave up on that. Why? Here it is. But your kingdom's going to end because the Lord wants someone that is after his own heart. What's Saul after? So what's his sin? He's impatient and he's afraid because he doesn't trust the Lord. If you truly believe that the Lord's going to show up in seven days, then wait. And if you truly believe the Lord told you he's going to show up in seven days and it's eight then wait. Because God wants someone who's going to trust him. And Saul doesn't trust him. It's not that he burnt an animal. I mean, that's... You burn an animal. I mean, it's terrible nowadays, but we do it on barbecues all the time. And God doesn't reject us, right? It's not that act. It's what was in his heart. It was this. I don't trust God. I didn't listen to the word. So what did he do? He takes things into his own hands. Are you seeing a pattern here? I'm like Saul. Are you like Saul sometimes? I'm like Saul. I take things into my own hands just like Saul did, and it never ends well. He loses his kingdom, his family all gets killed. His friends, his officials, everything. And keep in mind, he loses his kingdom like immediately. Yes, he stays in power for a while, but it's over with. It's been revoked. His charter is done. It's all a false kingdom, 
from that point on, from almost the very beginning. And then, of course, he goes a little bit insane at times. That's why he was chucking the spear at people. Quite a lot of consequences for Saul. He probably didn't think it would have that many consequences, but let's just be fair and say that I don't think Saul was really thinking. He was mostly thinking about himself. Like Keith Green says, it's hard to see when my eyes are on me. Saul's eyes were on him. He was on his situation. He looked around and he said, look at this, look at this, look at this. I need to take things into my own hands. I'm going to handle this on my own. That's what I do in my life. And that's why I have so much fear and anxiety. And Saul was ruled by his fear and anxiety in this moment, and he caused him to sin. Someone asked me the other day, is anxiety a sin? And I said, I don't think anxiety is a sin. I think anxiety is the consequence of a sin. And that's what I think it is. I think it's when you think you have control and you really don't. You can't affect things, but you think you should be able to. And when you can't do the things you think you can do, it makes you anxious. It makes you fearful. So what was different about David? Let's find out what David did. Not a lot different. So David has almost the same moment, right? David's different in a little bit of a way, but I I don't want to downplay the fact that David did quite a lot of really terrible things. Really terrible things. We know about Bathsheba, and that's what I'm going to talk about, because that's when Nathan comes and talks to him. But, you know, that wasn't even the only wife that David took from someone else. David was promised Michael, Saul's daughter, um, after he killed a certain amount of Philistines. But when Saul no longer liked David and was afraid of David... He gave Michael in marriage to someone else. Someone else's name's like Penelope. I'm going to call him Penny, okay? So Saul gives Michael in marriage to Penny. They stay married the whole time that David is on the run, something like seven years. So we're talking about Penny and Michael living together, married together for a long time. One of the first things that David does when he becomes king is says, go get me my wife that was promised to me. It's a really terrible moment. I know we don't really, we gloss over some of these Old Testament stories because they're terrible, but the bottom line is it's terrible. It's a terrible moment. He goes and he gets it, and Penny, the husband, follows after the men crying, saying, give me back my wife, please. And finally, they send him back, and he's by himself. So David was a kind of, I see something I want, I'm going to get it kind of guy. And he did with Bathsheba, right? We all know that story. He sees a hot lady. He's like, bring her to me. He impregnates her, and now he wants to cover it up. Because David struggles with some of the same things that I do. He wants people to like him. He's insecure. He doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody else. And when Nathan brings the word of the Lord against him, he tells him the story about the sheep and the poor guy. Do you guys know the story? So David tells him a story. I mean, Nathan tells uh, David a story. He says that a rich man goes and visits a poor man. And the poor man has only just the one sheep the one sheep that he loves very much. And uh, David, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, the rich man then goes to eat, and instead of slaughtering one of his sheep, of which he has quite a lot to eat, he slaughters the poor man's most valuable possession, and David gets really indignant, really indignant. He says, this person should die. And so then Nathan's like, that's you. So now we have a very similar situation, because David took Bathsheba, committed adultery, got her pregnant, and then killed her husband so that he can marry her and make it look legitimate. And so what does he do, though? Because this is the part that's different. What does he say? Oh, I went too far. Yeah, no, go back. There you go. Oh, I love love this. Sorry, thank you. (laughs) David says to Nathan, the first thing out of his mouth isn't, this woman you gave me was so attractive. No, he says, I have sinned against the Lord because David recognizes right away that yes, he sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he sinned against Uriah. Yes, he sinned against the office of king. Yes, he sinned sinned against his soldiers. His soldiers really excited to hear that when they're off to war, David's going to take their wives. No, he sinned against a lot of people, but the one that he sinned against the most was God. And he recognizes that. That's a huge difference between these two guys. But Nathan says, okay, I appreciate that. God forgives you. But there are consequences. And the consequences are that that son that you and Bathsheba are having, that illegitimate son, is going to die. So then David, and you don't have to read the whole thing with me, but David begs God to spare the child. This is 
This is important because I think in our society and nowadays, we think when our prayers are not answered that we're either praying wrong or that we don't have enough faith or we're not doing it earnest enough. And man, isn't that a crazy, terrible burden to bear? Isn't it? David, David put on dirty clothes. He didn't bathe. He didn't eat for a week He prayed, he slept on the hard ground. He did everything he could earnestly to pray for things. And God does not answer his prayer. That ought to make you feel good too. Because sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. And it's not, it's not because you didn't have enough faith or you didn't do it the right way. Sometimes it's the will of God. And what's interesting about this is that David doesn't change God's mind and he doesn't put up a fight about it. When David finds out about his child dying, he gets up, takes a shower, puts on some oil, makes sure he's clean, puts on some fine clothes, and the first thing he does is he goes and he worships God. That, to me, sounds incredibly different from what I might do in this situation. And I don't want to find out for sure, so I'm still just thinking theoretically. Right? But that doesn't sound right to me. Because I don't think that that would be on my mind. So what did David do? And I want to repeat this. I want to establish a pattern. I did it. Saul did it. David does it. David abuses his power. He sins. He's afraid he's going to get caught in his sin. So what does he do? Takes things into his own hands. Just like I do. Just like Saul does. Just like some of you guys do. When we get caught in sin or when we are struggling with things, when we're anxious and afraid and we think everything is up to us, we decide we are going to be the ones that will handle this. We put it all on our shoulders and we say, my burden is light (laughs) as we're like crushed to the ground. Just keep saying that. Confess. It's not true though because you can't bear the burden of your own life. And then he ends up becoming embarrassed publicly. He loses his son that one, and then also his, other, his oldest son rebels against him, Absalom, a terrible thing to happen. His second son decides he's going to become the king when he hasn't been named the king. This is not a good thing. He establishes a cycle here for him and his family that doesn't work out well. Everything becomes harder for David because of the way that he took things into his own hands because of his sins. Afraid of death, yes. Saul was afraid of death. David was afraid of his son's death. Worry what people think? Absolutely. They both did, right? Saul was worried that his people would run away. David was worried that his soldiers would find out about him, that his people would find out about this sin. They both had a desire, well, especially David had a desire to feel love. They both strive for self-sufficiency, and they both have a fear of losing what they have. These are the kinds of things that should be warning signs for us when it comes to our own lives. If we have these things, we need to be careful and ask ourselves, who do we think is in charge? Obviously, it wasn't Samuel that was a man after God's own heart, but what made David different? He had the same kinds of sins, or similar sins, similar pattern. So I want to actually talk about that real quick. So what made David different? He believes and recognizes 100% that everything is God's. He's the one that wrote our Bible verse, right? The world and everything in it belongs to God. When the child is taken from him, he doesn't put up a fight because he realizes God had the right to judge him because the world is his. God had the right to take that child from him. And it's not David's right to argue about it. It's a different situation. It's a different world to see things through the the lens that says God is 100% in control of this as opposed to him. What else does he do? He listens to the word. When Nathan comes and speaks to David, David doesn't make excuses. He doesn't argue. He doesn't try to pass the buck. He just says, I get it. I sinned against the Lord. And then... When he does, he repents. This is the pattern that David does right. And then after that, he worships with everything. I want to talk about how I do it. 
because this is kind of my testimony. So when I'm in that situation and I am stressing, which happens too much, unfortunately, and I have too much on my back and I have too much burden to be able to bear, and I have to recognize that my number one thing, where I went wrong, was that I start to think everything is up to me. I have to accept that the world and everything in it is the Lord's. So what in my life is God's? My children are God's. My relationship with my wife, that's up to God. My job and how well I do there, up to God. How you think about me, it's up to God. Whether I pay my bills, up to God. Whether I have a job, up to God. Whether I ever get to preach again, up to God and Ronnie. Up to... No, I'm just <laughs> Everything is up to God. It's not up to me. That's the very first thing. But you know where I go to get that? I go to the Word. One of the problems that I see in our world today, in modern American Christianity, is that we don't go to the Word. How can we listen to the Word if we don't read it? What we have replaced the Word with in real life are memes. Do you know what that is? Pictures with cute little phrases, a rainbow, God said it's going to be okay. And we paste these in like, yes, I believe this. This is true. Sometimes I'll even say, share if you agree. And everyone shares and it's all positive. Some of them say like, share or this won't happen. Like if you want this to happen to you. As if it's like a genie. I mean, it's the same game. Do you remember that game we used to play when we were kids? We'd fold the paper up and we'd find out who we were going to marry and how many kids we were going to have. That kind of thing. Or magic eight ball. That's the same thing, you guys. You don't share something on Facebook and all of a sudden God's like, oh, I got another share. Better give them some blessings. It doesn't make any sense, but we do that. We share these memes that are completely unbiblical sometimes. Are there going to be struggles? Absolutely. I was reading this book about um, the church in China, and they were saying that the church in China is almost completely, almost completely free of the prosperity gospel, which kind of makes a lot of sense because most people are poor there, Right? And there was this discussion between someone who came from the West and was talking to someone in the East, and and they just said, I'm not sure why you believe that. The Bible talks quite a lot about the suffering of Christians. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And we have suffering all the time. You guys do. If I go to Facebook, I hear about people who are sick, who are injured, people's legs get hurt, uh, people get diabetes, people get, you know, unfortunately, people get heart attacks and strokes, people pass away. All these things happen. People's fa- their kids are, are leaving them, are causing problems. Spouses are separating. All these things are happening all the time, and I'm assuming that you guys are Christians, and yet all these bad things are happening to good people. Uh, wait, Christian people. How is that possible if God only promises positive things to you? It goes back to the song that Wayne said. The promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And then sometimes in Christ Jesus means that you have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's our job to say God has this, so I have no fear of evil. But I don't do that. When I'm in a valley and I have shadow and death, I don't not fear and the reason, when, the reason I do that is because I don't do that. If I get out of the word, if I stop listening to God, then it's really easy, really easy to just start listening to myself. What do I have to do today? We should be praying, I should be praying, what do you want me to do today? What do you want to do for me today? What do you want to do with me today? What do you want to do today? But instead, it's what do I have to do today? We make a to-do list, and we follow it, and we check the boxes, and we think everything is in our control, and everything is just so, and it's just as bad. There is a problem when we don't read the Word. When we read the Word, however, the next step is that we should be repenting. So often, what I hear when people call someone to repentance is I just hear grace. It's okay. That's how they do it. Some people don't understand. Or, or that's just, that's okay. They believe that way. That is like a modern, weird moral that doesn't actually match up to the real world, according to the Bible. 
It doesn't work out like that. When you do something wrong, you should repent. David repented. We, most of the time, sound like Saul. At my work, it's called throwing someone under the bus, which is a kind of gross metaphor, unless the bus is parked. In which case, then you're just like, why'd you put him under there? But <laughs> throwing someone under the bus or passing the buck or you know, placing the blame on someone else, we do that all the time. When things aren't going right in our own lives, why don't we read the Bible? Well, because I'm so busy. Busy doing what? Trying to control everything? It's an illusion. Sometimes our battles aren't won. Sometimes our battles aren't won because the battle that we're fighting is one we picked. Like Saul. Saul picked his own battle. What I didn't go into in in depth there was that when Samuel came up right before that, Saul, one of the reasons Saul decides to bless it is because he hadn't even got the blessing of God yet and he'd already attacked an outpost. So Saul is, is going on his own battles. He didn't follow the Lord's battle. Remember Joshua when he's going into um, fight and an angel comes and sees him and he's like, all right, whose side are you on? Our side, the good guys, or those guys, the bad guys? And what does the angel say? Neither. Because God is on God's side. And one of the things that we need to realize is that there really is only one battle going on. And that battle belongs to the Lord. We are either wasting our time, stressing ourselves out, trying to control and manipulate the world into our own battlefield and losing, or we are with God, following him, and he is winning a battle, and we are spectators. The only way that we're going to win any battles is if we take off our own jersey and we put on God's. And then finally, we need to worship So I don't want to give you guys any weird visuals, but sometimes when I am really stressed out, I will dance. In private, I will dance. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) I will, like a crazy fool. I have a habit, because I don't even want to see myself in the mirror at my house, of putting on a hoodie and pulling it down low. So just in case someone's looking in the window, they're like, who's dancing in there? I don't know. I can't see. I thought about putting on glasses. Clark Canting, but um, I thought, nope, people are hip to that now. So I actually pull it down over my face, and I dance around in private, and I sing songs at the top of my lungs, and I cry. It happens all, it happens, because I have so much anxiety that I need an outlet. When Ronnie was talking last, I'm so glad I get to speak today. I know this wasn't originally where I was going to get to speak, but I'm so glad I did, because we just finished talking about worship. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about reading the Word, right? Is that still the case? It's like a good time. Good time because they go together. What happens when you read too much of the Word without worshiping God is because is when you start to learn about God, but you don't get to know God. And when you worship too much, you start to uh, experience things, but you have no idea if you're actually experiencing God or those are just endorphins. So they have to go together. You have to test all things in light of Scripture, Right? But when I go to worship, when Ronnie was talking about that last week, I remember he said something very important. He said that, uh, you know, when we go to sports teams, we get all pumped up for that. Now, I remember, I'm a Lakers fan, because remember I came from California. And early in the 2000s, um, the Lakers were winning all the time. Yeah, I'm still living those years. Um, They were winning all the time. And I remember the very first playoff run where they ended up winning. I I remember uh, being at work, because I worked at night, and I took a break right then, which, you know, probably wasn't my scheduled time, but I was like... I'm all right, you know? Uh, so I went and I took the break, and so did everybody else. I'm not sure who answered calls for Verizon at that time, but um, I don't think anybody was calling because we, we were local, and no one in Southern California was paying attention to their phone bill. But we were watching, and I remember there was like a, a half a second left, and the Lakers had the ball, and they pass it in to Derek Fisher. He grabs it and chucks it up, and it goes in, and everyone's like, yes, you can feel the building you can hear people on all three floors cheering. And everyone who called in was like, what just happened, right? But that pent-up anxiety, that pent-up stress, wanting them to win and realizing we had no way to help them, well, that's a good step, a good first step, right? 
And then when it happens, we get excited and we have this explosion, but we don't do that at church. I'm not sure if it's because, you know, we're just not used to that anymore. Maybe too many people have abused it, acting crazy or whatever. But I really think that the number one reason that we don't worship God like we're supposed to is because we, we have our eyes on other people instead of on God. That's what I think happens. When David was bringing the ark back in, another reason why David's heart is the one that was after God. When David was bringing the ark into Jerusalem, he had just his undergarments on, and him and all of his men of Israel danced like crazy fools. And when someone called it on it, called him on it, and they're like, you look undignified. This is how a king should act. He said, listen, I will become even more undignified for God. That's the difference. Recognizing that God is in control. Reading and listening to the word. Repenting and then going all out for God. Sometimes that looks like getting on your knees. Sometimes that looks like falling on your face. Some of my best and most memorable worship experiences and prayer experiences have been on my face in a group of other people who are also on our face, and no one was paying attention to each other. We were just seeking God and then listening to what he said back to us. We were raising our hands. We were doing whatever we wanted to do that was a natural outcropping of what what you do when you're in a situation where someone is so amazing. You know, one of the most fundamental things that we, we really get hung up on in the church is that we really get caught on this God is love thing. Yeah, he's love. But you know what they sing to him in eternity? They don't sing love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. They sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because God is so transcendent that when he says love and he condescends to use an English word like love and we try to figure it out, we have a tendency because we're sinful people to think of that in terms of you know sex or relationships or something like that. But in reality, God's love, how God is love is so much more than that. And when we understand that God is so much more than anything we can understand, then we really ought to be worshiping like crazy fools. That's what we should be doing. Um, because I am a put-into-practice kind of guy, I want the worship team to come on up, and we're going to worship for a minute. I am not going to look at you, and I do not want you to look at anybody else. I would like you to close your eyes, okay? This isn't a test, and I don't really care what you do. That's between you and God. But I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to envision that you and God are the only people there. And I want you, because I have read some of the Word today, and if, it, and if you're like me, and you deal with anxiety and stress, and fear, and you want to be free of that, you need to get into the Word, you need to repent, and then you need to worship. You have to put God back onto the pedestal. You need to let God be the one that's in control and not you. You have to admit that God is not, God is not just some outside force that helps you fight your battles. So close your eyes, sing along with I know this is a new song. Uh, it's actually just this one Sunday, but thank you, Robert. We're going to sing a song. I want you guys to sing along if you know it. But just worship God, please. Just to rest in your arms Close enough to hear your heart Just to kneel at your feet Everything fades away And I sing, Jesus, Jesus, take me
just a glimpse of your face all my fears melt away lost within your embrace I'm pouring out all my adoration Jesus Jesus heard your word and I repent. I've been living like it's all up to me, like I will provide for all my needs according to my riches and hard work. Lord, I have replaced you as the God of my life. I have become my own God and I can't do it anymore, Lord. I need to recognize that you are the one that's in control of everything and I have to stop trying so hard. It is not up to me. Lord, I give you my family. I give you my wife. I give you my children. I give you my job and I give you my finances and I give you what I do with my time, Lord. I give you everything. I give you my fear and my wanting to to impress people. I give you my my self-esteem, Lord. I give you everything because I am anxious and I am weak and I am fearful and I am sinful and I need you to take care of me, Lord. I need you to take over everything because only you can do it because I can't do it. I am not able to, Lord.
helping to remind you to be in the Word. And when you are in the Word, may He convict you of the things that you need to get right and show you the right path on the way for you to walk. And when you are walking that way, may God richly bless you the way that God intends to by growing you and turning you more and more into the likeness of Jesus. He created you for good works. And Lord, I pray that you prepare us and that you help us to find those good works. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys.